I think it's the young people. So when I left, uh, the young people didn't stay. Now we have people coming in droves, and I am so excited about the future just because we have people coming that want to be part of our city. Uh, they've chosen to be here. They've put down roots. Uh, I can't tell you how many people I meet with on a monthly basis that came here without a job, but they love our city, and I want to find out how to get involved. And then I'll end up seeing them at a, uh, an event, and they, they did. They got involved and got their hands dirty, and they're making a difference. So I think that is uh, so exciting. Kim White is the president and CEO of the River City Company. For 30 years now, the River City Company has been focused on creating a vibrant and healthy downtown Chattanooga. In many ways, the River City Company is the embodiment of what is referred to as the Chattanooga Way, the bringing together of public, private, and philanthropic sectors of our city to accomplish a shared vision for Chattanooga. And as you will learn in this episode, it's hard to imagine what our city would be like without the work of the River City Company. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I am your host, Matt Busby. Well, Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Yes, yeah, so my guest today is Kim White. She's the president and CEO of River City Company. And if you've, I mean, if you've lived in Chattanooga for any amount of time, I'm sure you've, you've heard of the River City Company. And, and that's really what we're here to talk about today is, is kind of the work and the achievements of this organization and, and just learn more about it. What is it? What's its goal? What's its vision for, for, for Chattanooga and for Hamilton County in general? And so, but before we really get into that, Kim, you know, I'd really love to learn more about you and, and give our listeners kind of a better idea of who you are and, and your background and kind of how you, you got into the position that you're in. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks, Matt. It's, it's a long and winding road, but I am a Chattanooga native. I grew up here, went to public school, Hickson High School, went to UTC. And uh, when I graduated back in the early 80s, um, like most people, I left looking for better opportunities. So I moved away from the city in 83. I was gone for about 20 years, and we kept coming back over a course of time. I went to work for a Fortune 500 company, and they transferred us all over the country. And one day I woke up 12 hours from uh, home and in a career that I was no longer satisfied with, and we just made the decision that it was time to get involved in a community, and we chose to come back to Chattanooga. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I came back. And as most people that are new that come to the city find out, we're a great city to network in, and that's what I did. I started picking up the phone and calling people that were doing cool things in town and really found out that what I was passionate about was the city because I had moved so much, I had lost that connection with the city. And several people at the time said, with your love for the city, you need to call our mayor and meet our mayor, Bob Corker. So I cold called Senator Corker uh, when he was mayor and met him over the Christmas holidays and talked to him for several months. Um, What I didn't realize is that Senator Corker had a real estate company and they were looking for someone to lead that. So I went to work uh, running the Corker Group and uh, Senator Corker at that time had 2 million square feet of real estate. Most of it was downtown. And uh, did that until he um, sold most of his holdings and became our United States Senator. Stayed with the new owner for a couple of years, and I went on the board of River City Company. And that's when I really found my passion. I live right downtown. I love the work that River City Company was doing. And when they started looking for a new executive director, um, 
it just felt like this was what I was called to do. So I've been at River City Company now seven years. It is so rewarding to get up and know that I'm working to make downtown better and to connect things that I love like UTC and, um, and, and all the great entrepreneurs in the city. Yeah, so I, I, I'm just I'm pretty amazed at how much this is becoming a common theme when I ask this question on the podcast for for my guests who come on and I ask them to tell their story. You know, where do you come from? I feel like you're probably the third or fourth in a row now who has said, you know, I, I was born here, grew up here, moved away, and came back and fell in love with my city all over again. And so it's just a, it's an incredible testament to Chattanooga. Yes, it is. And I think what's so exciting now is we see so many people, uh, whether they grew up here or not, uh, have chosen Chattanooga as a place that they want to put down roots. And I think that bodes well for our city in the future. Well, Kim, really quick, can you just give us, what is, what is the River City Company? So River City Company, we are a private nonprofit. We have been around for 30 years, which is a great testament to the work that we've done in the city. And we were formed in the mid-80s when, of course, it was there was nothing going on downtown. But the community had came together and put together a plan, really how to reinvent ourselves. And the aquarium was part of that plan. Um, also part of that plan was the need to have an organization that got up every single day working on the issues of downtown and making the plan a reality. So um, that's what River City Company has done. Uh, it was a 22-year plan. It's interesting, Matt, when I got to River City Company, I wanted to see it, read it, and, and we actually followed that plan. I think that's been part of our success is that we do a very good job planning, and then we do follow it. And the great thing about those plans, they're community plans. Uh, so it's not top-down. It's like getting the community together to talk about our city, what the gaps are, and how do we fill them. So um, our tagline is working to keep downtown working, and that changes with what our role is. Early on, we developed. Uh, we were involved with the aquarium and the Riverwalk. Uh, lately, we've been involved in housing, but it's always been a downtown focus. Yeah, I feel like, so, so, you know, the other thing that if I could have a dollar for every time I get one of my guests would say this, you know, I'd, I'd be able to fund the podcast. But uh, something else that always comes up on the podcast is, is, you know, air quotes, the Chattanooga way. Yes. And I feel like in many ways, and so the Chattanooga way is this, you know, this incredible public, private, as well as uh, philanthropic partnership. And I feel like River City Company is really the embodiment of the Chattanooga way. Would you agree with that? Yes, I do agree with that. And I think, uh, you know, we have, we host cities. I probably host two different cities a month that come here to try to figure out our secret sauce. And our secret sauce has been the Chattanooga way that we really do listen. Now, you have naysayers that think it's just a facade and we, we really, we just, it's all for show, but I've been part of that process and I know it's real. Yeah. Uh, when we did the city center plan to see 600 people come out and work at tables and put together plans and then we put those plans in a book um, and follow them. So, yeah. so it's, it really is a testament to our city. Yeah, I've provided a link in our show notes to the, to the city, city center plan before, but I'll do that again for this episode as well, uh, so people can kind of check out check that out what that city center plan is and what that looks like. Well, I think that you know that was actually another question for me too. Is is do other cities have a River City Company? A lot of downtown cities have a downtown organization. Uh, so there's someone that focuses on it, but sometimes it's, it's different. It's um, maybe something that does a cleanup program or ambassador program, but I think we're very unique in that we are independent. We're not funded by the city or the county, but we are partners with them. Um, the fact that we do develop some and that we um, work with foundations. I think uh, what I have found is there's not another organization I could point to to say this is just like River City. I'm working with two cities right now trying to 
put together something like a River City Company um, because I do think it's important to have that downtown focus and an independent organization that can work with lots of different stakeholders. Well, before we actually get into kind of sort of the achievements of River City Company and kind of where you guys' focus is, especially with the Innovation District, you know, this this conversation is following up my conversation with Ken Hayes and Ann Coulter about the Innovation District, and so I really want to talk about that a lot too. Uh, but kind of the way I want to paint this picture of how important River City Company is to Chattanooga, what would Chattanooga look like if River City Company never existed? Well, it's interesting. Every time that we've gone through a leadership change, um, the board has gone through a really in-depth process to say, how, is our work finished? Do we still need to exist? And I think that's a very healthy thing to ask. Mm-hmm. And it's always come back as a resounding yes. Uh, you can go in the River City Company's office and see maps with all kinds of surface parking lots and development opportunities. And great development just doesn't happen. There needs to be someone helping drive that. Uh, so I think the city would be very different, uh, more helter-skelter and less planning. Uh, I think the fact that we are a group that brings a lot of different organizations together puts our city, um, you know, like I mentioned, we're networked in a, in a really good way, but we all work in conjunction with each other trying to move the city forward. Yeah, something that Ann talked a lot about in our last episode, too, were the assets of our city and how we have, you know, for an innovation district, but as a city in general, we have some very unusual assets. And, you know, I brought up the, the fact of geography is actually an unusual asset for our city. The fact that our downtown is, is, is fairly uh, sitting in a bowl and, 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 and all walkable and flat, uh, I think helps that a lot and helps imagine that development you're talking about. But also, I think, you know, River City Company itself would actually fall into one of those unusual assets for our city uh, that, that has helped push our city forward. Yeah, I agree, Matt, and I, I can tell you I'm so proud to lead an organization that has such a great history uh, and to know that our work is never finished because downtowns are never finished, so it's a very rewarding place to be. Well, I kind of want to talk through a, a, a timeline of some of the achievements of River City Company, and, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of putting Kim on the spot to remember all these things right now, but if you, if you were to actually go on their website, rivercitycompany.com, and look at their projects page, you can kind of get an idea of this timeline, uh, this list of achievements that the River City Company has been uh, instrumental in, in making happen in our city. But, uh, but Kim, can you narrate some of that for us? So sure. going back to the very beginning in 1986. Right, 1986, okay. our first project was working with the county on the Riverwalk connection. And I think in some ways the Riverwalk doesn't get enough credit for what it did to our city, making people instead of just driving through it, walk through it and experience it. And the fact that we're still expanding on it 25 years later uh, is a great testament to how successful that's been. So the Riverwalk was the first project. Of course, the aquarium was the big project, and that's what we call our line in the sand. We measure economic development before and after. Um, And it was helping fundraise. You know, the money was raised privately, and um, so we really drove that development. At one time, Matt, we owned almost 34 acres of property downtown from 4th Street to the river. Um, And we acted like a land bank. So we worked with the plan that the community came together worked with the right kind of developers, doing the right kind of design, and then we did projects like the Lookouts, um, and that was used to be the Kirkman High School, the Crave Discovery Museum. Um, so when you look at 4th Street, just about anything iconic we were involved with at one time, what I don't think a lot of people realize is that we also did a lot of neighborhood work in Jefferson Heights, and we raised the money privately for Battle Academy so we could have school choice, and we knew that we wanted families to move back downtown. 
And then we worked on things like the Majestic Movie Theater because we know when people go to movies, they support restaurants, and we wanted to support local restaurants. <laughs> Our last project was uh, The Block, the downtown climbing gym, and we're really proud of the fact that we could put an emphasis on some of our natural resources and assets like rock climbing, and I don't think people had any idea what a big community um, that has been. Yeah, I mean, so really, you can you can drive down into city center Chattanooga and along the riverfront. Anything you you notice is iconic. Um, it, at some point, the River City Company probably had their hand in it to some extent. Right, and then the 21st century waterfront. We were um, Mayor Corker's partner in de- in overseeing the development of the 21st century riverfront and doing the request for proposals for some of that housing. So uh, we worked with the city and the county trying to figure out what their priorities are, what the um, what, what the community's parties are, and then work to make it happen. Well, so bringing us up to today, you know, I, like I said, we just, our last episode was about the Innovation District. If you haven't listened to that, please go back and, and actually listen to those two episodes. And really, the Innovation District is a circle within our city, the center of which is right at the corner of Georgia and, and MLK. And if you go about a quarter mile out from that, from that center and, and in a circle, that's essentially the Innovation District. And so kind of what I want to talk to you about is, you know, back during Startup Week, you gave this incredible talk about the development of the Innovation District and, and what that looks like in, in terms of property development itself. So how, how is that city center, what the, the area is known as the city center, how is that transforming right now when it comes to development? Well, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, most cities grow from the center out. And um, 40 years ago, Miller Park was done, Miller Plaza was built, thinking that the city, like most, would grow from the center out. But we had so much success on the waterfront, uh, it seems like we've had this hole in the donut. Mm. So we went from the riverfront uh, that was you know, vibrant and active, then we went to the south side, which we, working on neighborhoods. City center has always had the majority of our downtown businesses. In fact, we used to refer to it as the central business district. Um, So we had 55,000 workers down there. But when Blue Cross moved away in uh, 2005, and we're really lucky they stayed downtown but left the center of the city, they left 1.2 million square feet empty. Wow. So we had this we had a bigger hole in the donut so we had uh, a little bit of residential uh, not much we had uh, our major workforce but after five it was empty and we had lots of empty real estate so we did a plan uh, back in 2013 and that's the one where we had over 600 people that came together to really talk about how do we make this part of the city walkable bikeable and connect the south side to um, the riverfront and a lot of it was reinventing our buildings our empty buildings So what I'm excited about now is that in the city center plan, we identified 26 buildings that were either uh, empty or underutilized, uh, and we have 16 of those undergoing redevelopment (laughs) now. That's incredible. And so many of those are housing um, developments. And the most exciting part to me is we have some of our most beautiful historic buildings downtown that have been empty for 12 to 15 years. I don't think people realize that there has been no one in the upper floors. And they're being transformed into housing and the hotels and um, it just has a different feel. The energy right now in city center is 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 pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I and mean, I totally agree. I, you know, obviously I'm at the camp house all the time, and that's right at the center of all this as well. Um, and so it's a really exciting place to be. You know, especially I can think of at least I think five to six 
maybe maybe even seven or eight businesses that will be open within this area within the next three months, right? Like we're just kind of waiting for February seems to be the magic date that everything will be up and yes. running. Well, it's it's interesting, Matt. I moved, uh, I've moved to City Center 10 years ago, and I had a totally different feel. Uh, I said back then we had a lot more briefcases than bicycles. <laughs> and I give total credit to the lamppost group that came on the second floor of Loveman's, and they really were change agents for City Center and how we thought about the city. You started seeing bicycles and skateboards and backpacks and the fact that they've come in and invested a lot in this part of town uh, speaks volumes and has really helped explode uh, the development because it's become the cool place to be a city center um, so we counted up we have over 900 million dollars of development occurring downtown that's private investment that does not include the highway or the park um, that, and $260 million of that is in the Innovation District. So the Innovation wow. District touches a little bit on MLK uh, District and a little bit of the UTC District, but most of it is right here in City Center. That's incredible. You said $900 million? $900 million Of private investment. Of private investment. That's incredible. Uh, you know, 2,600 apartments are being built. Uh, we have today right at 1,300 apartments. So I think what's so exciting for me and for our city is we're going to see people actually occupying yeah. and walking downtown, which makes it safer, which also attracts retail. Um, and then success breeds success. So um, we have a great opportunity to fill those gaps. And, th- and this is really why Mayor Burke was so excited about pushing forward the renovation of Miller Park, because essentially, you know, any city knows the importance of placemaking and public spaces are such a huge part of that. Uh, and so if we're going to have so many new residents downtown, they need a place uh, outside where they can be because we don't necessarily have yards downtown, obviously. Right. And then maximizing public space. So we think, uh, you know, back when Miller Park was um, developed, it was a time when parks were quiet places to go reflect. Uh, that's why there's so many hidden berms. And now now they're active and we want them active and we with this many people we need them active so we want places that people meet and use and uh, you think about a prime piece of property that's a key gateway to our city it's important in how we use and activate that well and I think that's a that's a pretty interesting discussion too because you really you know when we look at Miller Park and the way it was developed 40 years ago and, and to what we're wanting to create it turn it into now you begin to realize that over time you know cities morph and change and that identity changes and so um it, it, we did an episode on form-based code you know a couple of months ago and i think that's why i was so excited about form-based code is because it's really saying it, it it's form-based code seems to have that understanding built into it that we think we know what we want for the city now but we have to develop in such a way to be flexible for the future because the identity of our city will probably change in, in 50 years again. Right. In cities, I mean, we, ha- we have limited opportunity for development, right? So it's important that we maximize every opportunity we can. We don't need a lot of one-story buildings on important pieces of property downtown. We need more, more height than our city. So I think, uh, I think form-based code gives everybody the same playbook. And uh, you're right, it does give us more p- flexibility going forward. So I've been, you know, involved with the camp house for six years now. You know, my wife and I moved here in 2010. I've been involved in the camp house ever since. And, you know, what kind of, what, one, of the, one of the questions that everybody always asks, you're like, oh, you must have a ton of college students that come to the camp house, you know, when we were on Southside uh, and, and now that we're on MLK. And, and the truth is, you know, that's always been a, 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 a decent size, I, I guess, of our customer base, but never 
kind of what people imagine it to be. And it, fe- it feels like part of the reason is, is that, you know, historically, it, you know, it, it just doesn't, I don't know that how well students actually flow into the city, right? Uh, but I know you guys are working on some projects to make that connection between downtown and the university a, a lot more natural and, and a lot better to actually draw those students into the city a little bit more. So could you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. One of our key strategies has been the, the, to strengthen the connection between UTC and downtown. And I've had people ask, you know, why is that important? Well, you think about great, vibrant cities, and you think about the uh, College of Charleston, and what a different downtown Charleston, um, Savannah College of Art and Design, and Savannah. And if you have 12,000 students, and a lot of people don't realize the 12,000 students that UTC has, 66% of those come from outside of Hamilton County. So they are living somewhere. And we want them to live and be part of the campus and part of downtown. If we can harness that energy and activity, um, it just bodes well for our city. It bodes well for graduation rates because these students feel part of the city. Uh, They want to come back here and stay. Uh, We are really excited about several of the projects that we're working on with uh, UTC. One, we've been working on strengthening the connection between the MLK corridor. Of course, Camp House is a big piece of that. Uh, But Douglas Heights um, is a private student housing development that built 600 beds on MLK. And when those students moved in in August, the feel of MLK changed considerably. Absolutely. We have invested, with the help of foundations, about $750,000 on MLK, working to attract unique retail, help uh, property owners redevelop their property, and really fill those gaps on MLK. The other piece is um, Vine Street. The university is building a 600-bed apartment on Vine Street. We're working with UNUM on a master plan for them to have some housing on Vine Street. So we think Vine Street and and MLK are two great connectors, but also Patton Parkway, which ties into um, the Miller Park, Miller Plaza design. Uh, Patton Parkway, which goes right by the Tamara building that's being renovated by the the, the, uh, lamppost group, It connects directly to the MAP building on MLK. So we think if we strengthen these connections, we can get these students down here. Not only do they have buying power, but they have energy. They have um, a great talent that we need to put into our city. Yeah, so earlier when you said there's $900 million being invested into into downtown right now of private money, uh, and $260 million of that is going to be within the Innovation District, uh, how much does, does that UTC, uh, the edge of UTC development figure into that number as well? It, it's a piece of it, but not a big piece of it. Um, it probably about $60 million um, figures into that, that piece of it. Yeah, and you, you know, you mentioned the development of MLK Boulevard, and uh, we just had a, huge, a big meeting about that. And that's where, you know, when I say I know of eight businesses opening in the next, you know, three months, most of those are happening along uh, Patton Parkway and MLK. So it's going to be a really exciting, you know, I'm really looking forward to 2017 along the boulevard and just seeing uh, th- that street come to life in a, in a new way. But, and that, you know, that also brings me back to something else. There, you know, there's tons of controversy in our city right now about the right sizing of MLK. And, and uh, you know, I'll openly say I'm, I was a huge proponent of, of pushing that plan forward as a, as, a, as a business operator along the boulevard. And it goes actually back to what you said about the river, the, the river walk. You know, you said if it, 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 we created a resource that forced people to stop driving through the city and actually walk through the city and experience it at a different rate. And, and um, you know, any, any sort of book on urban development or, or city design will tell you it's so important to get people to experience their city 
at a different speed that's not behind the wheel of a car because you just experience it differently. And, and I know for us, that's why we're so excited about the right sizing is we want MLK to be more walkable because we want you to experience our neighborhood where we've invested uh, it, by walking through it and not just driving through it. Well, you think about all the new housing that's good, like with Douglas Heights and with UTC housing, all those students, we want to make it safer. Uh, and our city is changing. It used to be that MLK was used just as a way to get in and out of town. And that's not the way anymore. Uh, it is, it's a neighborhood. And when you add uh, 3,000, 4,000 more people downtown, you're not going to have all those cars traveling back and forth. You're going to have people here right in the middle of the city. And you don't want those cars on the road. Um, you can't, we can't afford as a city to build parking garages everywhere. We want people to use all different types of transportation. And that is walkable, bikeable. And that came up when we did the city center plan. Those are the two big issues that came up that we want a city that's walkable and bikeable and we're getting there uh, but I think our city's in a transformation and it's hard for people to realize that uh, because we haven't had all the people move yet because there's a lot of developments but over the next three years it's going to feel like a very different city. Well, and that's, you know, something else I'd like to ask you about, too, is, is because you're so involved in the development of downtown, um, you know, th there's several actually new hotels that are being developed right now, including the gold building right there on MLK in, in 27. Um, because, you know, as our, the identity of our city is changing into this, you know, innovation and technology hub, you know, a huge part of our, re of our resources comes from a tourist industry. And so we're not going to, you know, we're not, that's not going away. In fact, that's, that's been growing as well. And that's evidence in these new hotels. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that moving into, into this area? Uh, because like you said, the city's developed down there along 4th Street and the riverfront, but now we're actually getting a lot of hotel development in the innovation district former, you know, central business district area as well. Well, I think what is great about that is that, uh, you know, we've always said if you build a city for residents, the tourists will come. We didn't build a city for tourists. So they're coming to a part of the city that really, I mean, it, it's great to have their money and their investment and they support restaurants um, and they have people walking 24-7, which makes the city even safer. So I, I think it's good you start seeing that it's not just the riverfront area, that people want to experience all parts of our city and all parts of our city are, are unique and interesting for them to want to experience part of it. I think one of the big assets of Chattanooga is that we do support local. Uh, we do support unique, authentic. Uh, that's one thing that's happening on MLK when the, the restaurants that are opening, they're local restaurateurs and business owners that are investing in their city. It's going to be totally, it's going to have a totally unique, different, unique feel, just like the South Side does. Um, probably the riverfront area has more of that mix of tourism just because of all the events that we have. But I think that we've done a great job as a city to, to mix it up. So having the hotel here is a real positive. And they use parking at different times that business owners use parking. So it's, it's, it's a great way to maximize our city. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of curious about that. Is, is, is it unique uh, for a city like Chattanooga where the you know like if you look at Southside the population has absolutely boomed there in the last three years four years, uh, and and yet the businesses that are there have remained local. We don't have any kind of restaurant chains or anything like that moving into that area. Um, is that I guess is that a question of yeah? I mean, what why why how have we been so lucky? I guess is my question uh, to to at the same time have a population boom in our city center. Uh, and, and yet we've 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 been able to remain local when it comes to stuff like restaurants. Well, I think that we have a bit when when chains look at our city and I, there are there are good chains. Uh, I think if you have a good mix, that's that's awesome. But you look at some of the businesses that have failed, 
and they have been ones that have been more chain-oriented. Uh, you can just look at the history of what we do as a city. We support local, and we've had a lot of local restaurateurs buy up property and come into the market. So I think the market is just really kind of taking care of itself. Uh, we have a great history of we support good, unique, authentic. I mean, Flying Squirrel, when the Flying Squirrel was and Crash Pad was built, I mean, who would ever think a, a hostel right. on the south yeah. side but um god all the awards it's gotten and and um it's just grown from there yeah and i don't want that to sound anti um you know corporate restaurants or anything like that i mean my, my family makes a weekly trip to chick-fil-a um so but it, it is i think it's just amazing how how the the downtown local to corporate restaurant chain ratio that there is here seems is that unique i guess that's my question uh I do think it is unique, and I do I do think it's important to have a mix. Like, we would love to have an urban target downtown, right? So it's great to have all those different services, but I think when you start losing the authenticity of your city, you've lost a lot of your identity. We spent 30 years talking about what makes us unique and different and how we want to retain that, and so I think you have to be um, – um, vigilant about trying to really recruit and we do try to recruit uh, restaurant owners to open different ones or we go throughout the southeast and look for great ones in Birmingham and Nashville that maybe want to open one more uh, just to keep us um, different we want we don't want it to feel like uh, like Knoxville or Nashville well, Kim, you know, as somebody who's been so involved in, in our city as it's developed over the past 15 years, you know, looking forward to the next five years, and I think you started to hint at this, but I kind of, you know, just kind of push you that way a little bit more. You know, wh what are you most excited about when it comes to the future of Chattanooga? I think it's the young people. So when I left, uh, the young people didn't stay. Now we have people coming in droves, and I am so excited about the future just because we have people coming that want to be part of our city. Yeah. Uh, they've chosen to be here. They've put down roots. Uh, I can't tell you how many people I meet with on a monthly basis that came here without a job, but they love our city, and I want to find out how to get involved. And then I'll end up seeing them at a, uh, an event, and they, they did. They got involved and got their hands dirty, and they're making a difference. So I think that is uh, so exciting. I have so many friends who contact me about wanting to move to Chattanooga, but they kind of look at getting, they, they think they need to get a job first. And I, and I understand the, the need for security in that move and everything, uh, but literally I tell them every time, if you just come, it, sit in the Camp House or, um, or Goodman's or any of the local coffee shops, Cadence, for two weeks and just don't be shy about shaking hands. Uh, that's the best thing you can do if you want to move here. No, I agree. I think, you know, I've lived in a lot of different cities, and sometimes um, cities are networked in a negative way in that they have the people that are they work together, but they don't want anyone else in. I think we are work to, networked together in a great way in that we are very welcoming. We want people to get involved. We want different ideas. Um, and I hear that from people that have moved here, uh, that they are just shocked about um, Chattanooga is just a, just a different place, and that's a great thing. Well, let me ask the inverse question of that. When you look at Chattanooga over the next five to 10 years, what do you see as some of our biggest challenges? Uh, income disparity, um, education is a, is a huge push, and I'm glad to see that there is a lot of focus on that right now. Um, we do have pockets of crime, and I think it does boil down to the education piece. I mean, you know, we have a very, we have a great cost of living, but um, it's not affordable for a lot of people. And how do we do that? Um, we've got to get their incomes up. So I think yeah. that uh, I'm excited about the 2.0 initiative and the fact that we have an opportunity to kind of hit a reset button about education. 
All right, Kim. So just a, you know, a fun question to f- finish up. If if you were to, if you had a friend who kind of wanted to come to visit Chattanooga just on vacation, just for you know a weekend or even a week, you know, my my question for you is, what time of year would you tell them to come, uh, and for what activities? Uh, well, fall is my very favorite time of year. Um, so we have the things like Head of the Hooch and Wine Over Water and Three Sisters. I mean, some things that are very unique and special um, to Chattanooga. So I think fall and walk the bridges and to me the most magical place in our city is the bluff yards district and the walnut street bridge at any time of day uh, because that's where really it's like the front door of our our community yeah so when my wife and i first moved here we uh you we had all of our friends from florida where we moved from would come up and visit us all the time and every single time the very first thing we would do is park in coolidge park Walk across the Walnut Street Bridge, down along the riverfront, or oh no, we go to we go to Rembrandt's and then walk down along the riverfront and then go back across the Market Street Bridge back into the park every time. And it was just this, the funnest little circle uh, to take newcomers it, to. It, yeah, it is awesome. It gives a great, great view of our city. I think the first weekend we had moved back to Chattanooga happened to be the weekend of Wine Over Water, and it was just the most perfect evening. It just said this is where we're supposed to be, and there's no place on earth like it. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Well, thank you again to Kim White for being part of the podcast today and sharing more about the history and vision of the River City Company. Like I said in the interview, if you want to learn more about the River City Company, you can check out their website at rivercitycompany.com. And there you can find a list of the projects that they've worked on throughout our downtown. Or better yet, you can come see them. Come downtown, walk around, and you are bound to see and experience one of the many elements of Chattanooga that the River City Company has helped create. Thank you so much to our studio sponsor, The Lamppost Group. You can learn more about them at thelamppostgroup.com, and you can check out their podcast called Dynamo Discussions. And thank you all for being here today. You can always share this episode or find any of our older episodes at thecamphouse.com slash podcast. And you can always subscribe wherever you find your podcast from, whether that's Google Play or Apple iTunes or anywhere else you find your podcast. You can subscribe there. Thank you guys for being here. We'll see you again next week. Have a great day.